everyone and welcome to episode 30 of the Retrospectors podcast. My name is Patrick Arthur and as always I'm joined by my co-host James Turlings. How are you doing this fine night James? I'm barely keeping myself awake Patrick. Somebody had the brilliant idea of recording just before my bedtime. Well unfortunately I have a wedding to attend so uh, although we normally do it on Saturday we've had to do it a few days earlier. So uh you know, man up and deal with it is all I'm going to say. Eat some there's concrete. not going to be another chance to record this episode. That's okay. I'll just, um, we'll just be going through this episode in a state of delirium. That's all right, though. Yeah, as, as long as we get through. Um, this fortnight, of course, we're doing Crystalis, which is a NES title that was released in 1990. What we do is each and every fortnight, we play through a classic game of the past, usually a game from the 90s or early 2000s. We play it through to completion. We don't talk about our experiences and we save them for today, the day of the podcast. The way in which we review them is to not review them as products of their times. We don't try and evaluate these games as how good they were or how bad they were when they would have been released, in this case, 1990. All we want to do is evaluate how fun they were to play today. Is this game worth your time to play today in amongst all the other things you can be doing on your weekend? As I said, this fortnight we did Crystalis, originally released in 1990 for the NES. A Game Boy Color version for it came out later in 2000 but had a number of significant changes to gameplay, story, and music. So the fans of the original view it as a remake as opposed to just a remaster. Most recently, uh, it was released as part of the SNK 40th Anniversary Collection for the Nintendo Switch uh, just in 2018, and that version for the Switch is a port of the original NES version. So the reason we're playing Crystalis is on the suggestion of one of our Discord users uh, called Megadoo. James has been trying to get me to play an RPG for a very long time, (laughs) and I've mostly managed to avoid them thanks to RPGs' long completion times. But we finally found an RPG that's under 15 hours, so James leapt at the opportunity. So thank you for the suggestion, Megadoo. Uh, even if I won't thank you for the gameplay experience I was subjected to. (laughs) Uh, We played played on a NES emulator called FCEUX. Obviously, there are other options available if you have a Nintendo Switch, of course, but uh, because James and I are diehard PC gamers, we went for the PC gaming options. Um, That's really it in terms of housekeeping. Uh, We'll get into it in more detail later. But it is worth noting with the emulated version that we did experience some occasional slowdowns when the screen got too busy. And that's not a bug or a glitch. I think it's just a natural consequence of the fact that we're, you know, we're emulating NES hardware, essentially. And that hardware couldn't support all of the on-screen crazy graphics that happen on occasion. All of the high-tech action that Crystalis has to <laughs> offer. Exactly. Uh, 90% of the time, the game runs 100% smoothly, but there are instances when you 
let loose some of your more powerful magical attacks that uh, it does get a little uh, slowed down and it's going to slow motion. I'm not I'm not sure if the Switch version suffers those same problems, but because it is a port of the original NES version, I imagine it does. So that's really it for the housekeeping. Uh, so I think we're right to jump into the discussion. Yeah. The so the premise of the game of Crystallis is that you're in a post-apocalyptic future. This is an alternative Earth where magic existed and a nuclear war broke out, you know, killing billions of people, littering the ground with radiation. So all these mutated creatures emerged and now roam the Earth. And Earth civilization has reverted to medieval society. It seems somewhat by design. There are four wise men, they're called, that seem to be guiding the direction the Earth is taking. And technology is forbidden, or it's at least obscured and hidden from people. So Earth has been kind of kept in this medieval state. Then, you know, a great evil emerges and... uh you, the hero, are broken out of a cryogenic sleep with your memory wiped and told that you are the chosen one. Now, there's lots to talk about with the story and uh, the shortcomings of the story. But, uh, James, do, do you want to start with discussing the story in more detail? Or is there something else you wanted to touch on first? No, let's start with the story. Um, I think uh, one of the things that's very apparent when coming back to one of these older titles is uh, how much that storytelling and gaming has really progressed over the years. When I was kind of picking this game as one for us to play, one of the things I kept seeing online was that Crystalis has one of the best stories on any game on the Nintendo Entertainment System. And honestly, <laughs> I'm not sure that claim's incorrect. But what that doesn't mean, in my opinion, is that it's a great story by today's standards. So it's funny. I've I've read a lot of books, actually, that are that have this exact same premise. Yeah. Uh, to name a few, um, Book of the New Sun by Gene Wolfe, Ridley Walker by Russell Hoban, Canticle for Leibowitz by Walter Miller Jr. Because um, I, I love my sci-fi and fantasy and post-apocalyptic worlds. And I think that my number one problem with the way this story is executed is not its poor dialogue or anything like that. It's that I feel they failed to do anything really interesting with the premise. So in all of those other books I've mentioned and obviously I don't expect this to equal you know this literature that I've read <laughs> but there's always this interesting tension between technology and magic or technology and the current situation and a failure to understand the technology and civilization and society kind of evolving and changing in the face of technology that they don't understand mm. and a sense of history uh you know that the civilization used to be so much greater than it was and that we're living in a dark age i don't think technology is ever really anywhere in the game except at the very beginning when you wake up from your cryogenic sleep and the final dungeon like this could just be a medieval fantasy game 
full stop and you wouldn't even know if you were to cut out the beginning and start of the game. Yeah, you're right. Um, a lot of the technology really does only take place at the very first screen, the very first room even of the game. And then right at the end when you ascend this kind of technological tower that's floating in the sky. Um, a lot of the game's plot actually revolves around the existence of this tower that's floating around the planet. And its purpose is never 100% accurately conveyed to the player I believe and it's sort of mostly left to interpretation and look from what I gather it seems to exist in order to act as kind of a failsafe in case humanity progresses to that barbaric point again where thermonuclear war would envelop the planet but really I was never a hundred percent confirmed about this that was just kind of the feeling I got when we did Vagrant Story previously, one of the things you mentioned was that you really like kind of plots that don't 100% explain themselves to you. Did, you. did you enjoy that aspect here? I hated it. So the problem is, if you are going to do a story like that, you really need to fill it with a lot of interesting and mysterious details alluding to the social and historical context in which your world exists. And this is just a plain old boring medieval society for all intents and purposes. So you don't have that richness of context and history and architecture overlaying everything to make the story feel realistic and alive. One thing which is funny, I, I think it's an example of extremely poor writing. However, in the right light, it could be quite well done, is that I have fundamental philosophical issues with the way in which this story is presented because it's essentially an argument for becoming Amish. <laughs> Amish. Uh, yeah, well, that's how it feels. So it seems like, as far as I can gather from the story, there are four men, four men, who are immensely powerful sorcerers. These are the four wise the men. The four wise men, yeah. They've supposedly ruled the planet for a hundred years, deliberately disallowing any technological advances. So, you know, <laughs> uh, if people try to create medical technology, they're like, uh-uh-uh, you're not going to heal people with science. You're only allowed to heal people with magic and random herbs that you find on the street, uh, despite the fact that very few people can do magic, etc. And also that magic is potentially far more destructive than technology. Way more destructive. So it seems to me as though I don't know if the bad guy in this story is really that bad. And the problem is he is really bad and really <laughs> evil and kidnaps He is fight. really bad and really evil, yes. But I don't know if the wise men in what they're doing is actually any better. Because it really sounds like after ruling for 100 years, unelected, <laughs> I mean, no women amongst them either, all of a sudden someone rises to challenge their power with technology and science. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, it's all falling apart. We need the chosen one to save us because we can't rule this planet for aeons more. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know about this whole good evil dynamic. I think it's just one evil group kind of manipulating you to take on another evil person. 
and it annoys me that the protagonist never like slows down and is like i'm not even convinced that those the wise men are supposed to be evil um i think you're just interpreting it as such like i don't <sighs> think the people who made this game intended them to be this way and that actually makes the story worse in a lot of respects yeah as it- i um as a kind of like high level thing i don't really have any problem with this game's high level store the like the big story beats from one part of the game to the other but generally i think the game does quite a poor job by today's standards of linking these individual events like i don't really like this is just a classic chosen one story which ultimately i don't have any issue with you know you wake up in this mysterious cave like it's exactly the same way that breath of the wild begins for example um and you have to go and you know get these four magical artifacts and eventually defeat the big bad at the end like you can totally spin that in a fun way in a video game but i just don't think the way everything links together quite works so i i think it's problematic from a big picture perspective and a small picture perspective because i really hate the idea of a bunch of old men wanting to rule the planet forever (laughs) i think that's really stupid it doesn't make any sense and i hate how it's anti-science and technology that offends me uh, that somehow magic that is a solution you. and science and progress isn't. But uh, as you said, it does also have problems from a small picture point of view. I would, And I think um, that's a big problem with a lot of these older games, right? From what I read online, as I said before, people were always gushing about how good this story was on the NES. And honestly, I do believe them. Like, I think that this game's story is probably better than basically anything else that existed on this console at the time, story-wise. But I think that the technical limitations um, and, you know, just people's unfamiliarity with telling stories in video games is really showing its age here. Like, I don't have an issue with the big story beats, but I don't think that basically any of the characters in this game uh, are fleshed out uh, anywhere as much as they need to in order to form, like, an emotional connection with the player. What seems to be the case is that these characters all just exist to drive the gameplay forward, um, and they don't... It's almost like the writers didn't really value these as character characters. They're just kind of like plot points that point you in the next direction. Yeah, and, you know, it doesn't help that they only have one or two lines of dialogue each and that dialogue is poorly translated to, you know, be grammatically incorrect either. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, think, um, I think that a lot of the structural problems could have been solved if, say, you started in the middle... The north was the fire sword to the west was a wind sword and each sort of like quest was in a particular direction and the story unfolded in a particular way in that direction. So again, Breath of the Wild? Well, Breath of the Wild is one of the (laughs) best examples because you can kind of explore in literally any direction and you'll still be going the right way. Whereas in this, it feels more like you're just stumbling from place to place randomly essentially and randomly being lucky and finding the right artifact at the right time yeah i at no point whereas i was like okay i'm this far through the quest and now i need to go to this location to solve this problem it was more like it was a much more bitty it was i need to get into the swamp with this gas mask why do i need to go into the swamp with this gas mask 
I don't know. I guess I'll find out when I go there. Yeah, and I guess that's kind of like this weird grey area between the way the gameplay guides the player and the way the story guides the player, but that was one of my biggest problems with this game, was the way that you basically never know what you're supposed to be doing. And I kind of get that, like, these older games are a bit less hand-holdy than newer games, but it's almost, like, entirely in the opposite direction, whereas a lot of, like, I think in my opinion the best games guide the player by giving them clues and having them figure out where to go next based on the information they have available. Crystalis doesn't really give you clues, it kind of just expects you to find your way forward via trial and error, which can oftentimes be very time-consuming, especially in the latter half of the game. Um, I didn't mind it so much right at the start when there is only, you know, you have some much smaller gameplay spaces to play in, so actually narrowing down your search is much, much easier. But towards the end of the game, when you have the entire map to explore and sometimes you have to go to places on the other side of the world to like progress the plot, it becomes a nightmare to know where to go. I think the um, Amazonian village is probably the best the example, example of example? that. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah, it, it's just a random thing across a patch of water in a much earlier area that you probably at that point in time you weren't even aware that you could you know make bridges over water and you have to somehow remember that and then and then find that place uh in order to pass a critical yeah, area when we did um castlevania symphony of the night remember mm-hmm. um there was a lot of places in the game that obviously stood out as being i need a new ability in order to progress past this point like there'll be some kind of locked door with a blue keyhole like something like that something that tells the player to remember this spot so that later when they get a new ability they can come back here and try to get through it with that bit that you're talking about in crystalis there's just this little ripple in the water that indicates that you're supposed to freeze the water to walk over it when i first went past that spot it did not stick out to me as being different to any other patch of water even when i got the ability to freeze water later on so it's particularly problematic when you when there are all these events that trigger without you knowing that they've triggered and this happens constantly throughout the uh, game so there's a yes. bit where there's a hut and a guy's in the hut and it's just a normal hut out of the middle of nowhere which i went to i'm like Oh, it's a guy in a hut. I talked to him. Nothing happened. I'm like, well, must be, must just be, you know, window dressing. In order to trigger the event happening in that hut, you need to enter a town. And the moment you set foot in that town, a guy spawns, a second person spawns in that hut. And there's a challenge for you to overcome to learn a spell and access a new area. But there's nothing connecting those two events at all. Yes, nothing. nothing at all. There's absolutely nothing. Yeah, it's. It's all trial and error. It's not like... I don't think it's difficult in the, you know, in the sense that it should be. Like, I don't mind progression being hard, but this is completely random sometimes, you know. You basically have no way to progress without reading a guide or bashing your head against it for 20 minutes. I was going to say, the reason it's not difficult is because I had a walkthrough open the entire time I played this game. The entire time you played this game? Literally the entire time, James, because the thing is, I'm happy to put up with this bullshit once or twice, But the third or fourth time it pulled this on me, where me entering a random location triggered a random event with no correlation between those things at all. 
I am over it. Like, I, I'm just like, I'm not going to take random actions expecting random outcomes a million times. I'm just going to read a walkthrough. I, I'm not going to stuff about with this. This game was clearly designed for 10-year-old kids to walk around in circles a hundred times and eventually progress because they walked around the entire map a hundred <laughs> times. But I'm not going to put up with it. I did use a guide at multiple points throughout my playthrough. Um, I didn't use it as much as you did. I started pulling it out near the end of the game and probably maybe in the last... I don't know, sixth of the game, I was using it fairly heavily because I just had no idea what to do half the time. Um, but near the start, I found it okay. Honestly, I think when the areas are small enough, this kind of trial and error is okay because it doesn't waste too much of your time. But really, there's no need for it these days. Uh, by today's standards, the way this method of guiding the player is really, really, or not guiding the player even, is incredibly outdated. Uh, I would be fine with this game being difficult to progress, but give me an actual puzzle to solve or something. Don't just make it completely arbitrary. It is completely unacceptable, and I find it insulting. I hated it with a passion. <laughs> uh, like you yeah. said, it, it's fine to show a locked door and, and show to the player you need this key to open the door. You know, if you're playing Doom and you come across a, ye a yellow key door, you're like, well, when I get the yellow key, I can return here. And it's okay to have RPGs where the key is something more elaborate than a key. Uh, as long as you show the door clearly first, and then when the player discovers the object, they know what to do with it. Well, in that case, you don't even have to indicate what ability you need to use for it, because... In that instance, you can stand in front of the door and try like 10 different things within the space of 10 seconds and then eventually you'll get it right because that kind of trial and error doesn't waste your time too much and I don't mind it. Whereas in Crystalis, walking across the entire map and talking to every NPC could take you like an hour and that's... Uh... It's just, it just does not respect your time, and I hate that. I just want to bring up um, a couple of small moments in the dialogue where I was completely confused. Uh, <laughs> did you speak to the rabbit uh, at all that gave you the re mana-regenerating necklace? I believe so. so yeah, I did. So, yep. so basically, uh, there's a rabbit, and he remembers his friend Tom. And you, you speak to him, and he says, Wow, it's been a long time since Tom visited me. Tom at this time is dead, uh, and instead of being able to tell the rabbit that Tom is dead, you know, which is a logical thing to do, <laughs> thing to what, do. What you instead do is you shapeshift <laughs> into Tom, speak to the rabbit as Tom, and you confuse the rabbit by then <laughs> saying Tom's actually dead, and I'm just pretending to be him. <laughs> and then the rabbit says, "Oh, in that case, have this necklace." And I was like, "It's a why." It's a bit of a dick move, isn't it? It's like, um, all right, Patrick, imagine if I shapeshifted into your mother and then was like, hi, Patrick, how are you doing today? And you were like, hi, mum, good. And you're like, haha, jokes, I'm dead, lol. Exactly. Uh, it's so, like, it's so bad. It's like, just tell the rabbit his friend is dead. Why would you shapeshift into. I don't know. Uh, yeah. I don't... <laughs> Another moment of dialogue I enjoyed is when you um when you first get to the Amazonian town, the women don't let you in to see their leader because you're a man. And when you talk to the woman in front of the door, she says something like, 
Um, hunting's really important in this medieval society, but you know what's even more important? Fashion. So if you <laughs> if you bring this perfume flower to our leader, she'll give you a bow. This bow that she uses to hunt. <laughs> oh my god! That's so bad. It's really bad. This story is atrocious. I I think you should be embarrassed if you enjoy this story. That's a you bit know, harsh. You know how I made fun. For enjoying Mega Man Battle Network three Battle story. Battle three story is so good. Compared to this, that that game story is a masterpiece. Like it's 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 brilliant. You should have started me with the really bad stuff, James. <laughs> the really bad stuff. Okay, okay, okay. Do you at least think that this game story is probably one of the better ones on the NES, though? I can't comment on that because I haven't played basically any NES games. But if this is the standard for a good story, oh my god, there must be some really bad ones. As you guys can tell, we uh, we don't have much nostalgia for that kind of era of gaming, and that's uh, going to come through a lot in this episode, I think. Um, I guess moving on to gameplay now... Do you, do you want to have a music break before we get into the gameplay? Sure. How did you, um, how did you feel about the music, and did you have a track you wanted to share with us? It was actually quite funny. So... Overall, I didn't like this game very much, as you may have guessed, based on <laughs> the way I'm speaking. However, I didn't actually hate the music. I I didn't think it was, you know, the best thing um, I ever listened to by any stretch, but I quite enjoyed it. And there were one or two tracks in particular that I thought were really good. So this is, this is probably my favorite track. It's called uh, Ocean Waves. It's the track that plays when you ride a dolphin. You know, don't don't ask any more questions. But when you're riding the <laughs> dolphin, this this soundtrack plays, and it's just got a nice feeling of energy to it. On the whole, I don't really like 8-bit music much, and I was pleasantly surprised with how much I enjoyed this soundtrack. And I played the entire game with the music on. Um, and even though it got a bit repetitive at times, I still enjoyed it. So this is the track Ocean Waves. Thank you. 
was Ocean Waves, and so I guess now that brings us to a bit of discussion about the actual gameplay of this game, because uh, at least according to Patrick, the story doesn't hold much value. Most of the gameplay in this game consists of you controlling your character from a top-down perspective, as many of these older games did, and roaming around fields of enemies hitting them with your sword. Now, in Crystalis, your sword can either do a little slash in front of you, or you can hold down the button to charge up an energy blast which you release from the sword and it flies forward. Throughout the game you get a number of magic spells and different upgrades to your sword charge that kind of allow you to, you know, engage with enemies in slightly different but mostly similar ways. Most of the gameplay is you walking up to an enemy and deciding whether to hit it in melee or charge up a weapon and kind of, you know, whittle it down in a ranged combat scenario. Um, so throughout the game you also collect a number of different elemental weapons. So, you know, a sword of wind, fire, ice, and lightning. And a lot of the enemies in this game are kind of damage immune to a lot of the elements, so you kind of have to switch your weapon a lot in order to be able to damage them, which honestly reminded me a lot of Vagrant Story when I started playing, but uh, by the end I did not have that utter sense of pain every time I opened up my menu to switch my weapon. How did you feel about the gameplay, Patrick? Okay, so where to start? I, I guess before we get into my number one gripe with the game, I'll just comment on that general general gameplay, the fighting of monsters. And my main problem with it was it's just insanely repetitive. I never, ever, ever engaged the enemies in melee combat because the hitboxes are completely fucked and you regularly get hit when you're like, there's no possible way that should have hit me. Because obviously your hitbox must be a big square, and if a corner of it touches a corner of their hitbox, it must activate a hit. So I always engaged in range. So the way you engage with 99% of enemies is you charge up a blast, you, you shoot the blast at the enemy, if it is of the correct element, they'll take damage and get knocked back to the edge of your screen. They'll begin walking at you again, and you kind of shuffle backwards. You charge up your sword again, and you shoot another blast at them. And you rinse and repeat that as many times as you need to to kill all the enemies. And that is your... It is an identical experience you have fighting every single monster in the game. And it sucks, because it's boring. Okay, I didn't quite stick to ranged attacks as much as you did. I did to the begin with. Um, when I started playing this game, I would always charge up my weapon to max charge then release it on the enemy, walk away like you did, and then do the same over and over until it died. Um, eventually I found out that just running up to an enemy and hitting it as fast as you can with your sword kills the enemies like probably three times faster than using the ranged attacks. And then if you do need to use a ranged attack, because um, when you charge up your sword, you'll get upgrades throughout the game, which mean you can charge your weapon up to level one charge, two charge, and three charge. So what I would always do is charge it up to the max charge um, and then unleash it upon the enemy, which is kind of mana inefficient and also time inefficient I found, because if you just do the first level of charge over and over, it keeps them knocked back enough 
um, that you can just keep doing it without having to reposition your character. So that's kind of what I started doing. And especially when you get the weapons that have a, like wider hitboxes, I found myself trying to group enemies up in order to kind of keep them getting knocked back over and over by the big energy waves. So I guess my the way I interacted with the gameplay kind of did evolve a lot as I played, but largely I, I agree with you. The combat isn't particularly deep, but I did find it oddly satisfying because I was expecting this game to control a lot worse than it did because back in the uh, NES day games, a lot of games actually only had like four directional movement with the original Legend of Zelda being the most prominent example of this, whereas Crystalis actually has the full range of motion um, and feels much better control, which obviously, you know, isn't a big deal these days, but I was, you know, mildly impressed with how much better it felt to control than I was expecting going into it. My, my problem with the melee attacking was that pretty much every single enemy in the game, it feels like, has status effect inflicting options. And if you get into melee range, it's super easy to get a status effect, you know, put on you, which is really annoying. I'd rather be using my magic points for other things than constantly casting, you know, status restore. And, you know, even the fact that I have to cast status restore is frustrating. So I would just methodically murder the monsters in the safe way where I wasn't in any danger at all. Yeah, I was kind of doing a little dance because you can kind of tell when they're about to... Because all the status effects in this game are mostly ranged except enemies that are colored red, which I quickly learnt not to melee. Um, but the ones that shoot ranged status uh, effects, I kind of just would attack until I see them pause and then kind of rotate around them to avoid the attack which i found to be more enjoyable than just mindlessly throwing ranged attacks at every single enemy which seems to be have been your experience with the game it was safe and effective except for one enemy enemy type and those are the flying enemies which can fuck right off <laughs> flying enemies <laughs> in this game make me so mad they will sometimes like sometimes they'll kind of circle around you and then they'll fly towards you other times they will bloody jag across the screen in half a second and collide into you and you know paralyze you oh my god the flying enemies in this game are so annoying it'll make you happy to know that halfway down my notes there's this one line that says fuck flying enemies oh my god it is ridiculous <laughs> they so, are quite annoying yes once the problem is you can only shoot your sword up down left or right but flying enemies often come at you diagonally so and they come at you really quickly diagonally so positioning yourself is really hard it gets yes. a bit easier when you get the Thunder Sword because it shoots its level two arc like in an arc. Yes. So you can just equip that and it's it deals with all flying enemies as far as I can tell. They also but respawn up until really fast. Oh, they respawn and they chase you across the entire map. Yeah. And if you try and avoid them, you just get ambushed by five at once. Yeah, honestly, it's, the, the oh. levels would have been so easy without them that I kind of couldn't justify them not being there but man they are so frustrating i completely agree uh base they get it was just no in between yeah. for me it was either easy easy boring repetitive mowing down these enemies 
and then I would go into full-fledged panic and swearing <laughs> at my screen. <laughs> never applying it. Yeah, the uh, the difficulty curve in this game is quite interesting. It's uh, usually a very easy game for the most part, and then suddenly there'll be these difficulty spikes out of nowhere that are just, like, really difficult. Um, one or two of the bosses and these areas with lots of flying enemies in particular. James, can I get to my number one gripe with Crystalis? And I think I think you know what it is. Um, do I? Okay, so this is a thing in video games that I hate above all else. I would have, uh. I would have quit this game immediately, like two minutes in, and never touched it again, and told everyone it was a terrible game, if not for the fact that I had to do this podcast. And that problem <laughs> is a little thing called grind. Okay, I figured out what you were going to say. Um, so my, my main discussion point is actually about the progression system as well. But I think I'm going to be a lot higher on it than you are. So let's get into that. So like you, I'm not a huge fan of grinding either. Um, and it's basically mandatory in it this game. It is literally like, mandatory. It is literally mandatory. Yeah, right. So... Unlike a lot of modern games, so this is an RPG, right? It's got levels and it's got armor and it's got spells and that kind of thing. And, you know, you kill enemies, you get experience points, you level up. Unlike a heap of modern day titles, Crystalis, you can only level up to a level cap of 16, which is very notably low in comparison to a lot of modern games where the level cap is like 100 on average, I'd say. So this comes with, in my opinion, a lot of big upsides and a lot of big downsides. So one of the big upsides, and this is actually my favorite part of Crystalis and something that I found made the experience a lot more enjoyable for me than I think it's made for you, is that when you level up in this game, because there's so few levels, every level feels very significant. And what I mean by that is that, for example, in the very first area with enemies in the game, there are these pigmen that take, I think, three charged attacks to kill. The moment you get to level two, they they instantly start taking a few less hits to kill. And it's very noticeable because one of the first things you need to do in this game is kill enough enemies to get enough gold to buy an item. And the very beginning is quite slow and you're like, I'm never going to get enough gold within the next 20 minutes. But as soon as you get enough XP to level up, you start killing them at a much quicker rate and it feels a lot easier to get the gold. And that kind of really obvious feedback between you leveling up and you becoming stronger is something that I think a lot of modern games games don't have like you level up and you get like a five percent increase to your power or something stupidly insignificant in that whenever you level up in crystallis i think you can feel it and that feels good i've got a better idea james let's just remove leveling up let's just remove this bullshit thing from the game that doesn't add anything at all to the experience whatsoever when i went into the first cave and i wasn't doing damage to the boss it took me a while to figure out that I wasn't doing damage to the boss. I was like, hmm, this is a really tough enemy. And so for 10 minutes, I tried to kill this boss until I looked up a guide to find out what I was doing wrong. And I realized that the game literally wouldn't let me kill the boss because I was too low a level. I could be in there for three years and I would still be stuck on this boss. And I don't understand what's satisfying about killing an enemy in two hits instead of three. 
if the fundamental process of killing those enemies is boring and dull, I'm charging up my sword and releasing it. What does it matter if it takes two hits instead of three? Why is that satisfying? It makes you feel a lot stronger. Like, I think the entire purpose of leveling systems existing in games is to give the player a sense of progression and, you know, to in instill this power fantasy on you where you're becoming this really, you know, badass dude who's able to mow down enemies that were once a challenge for him. And it gives you that feeling, which I enjoy, like, I enjoy immensely. Now, what you mentioned before, the thing where if you're not high enough level, you can't deal damage to bosses or certain enemies, I think is absolutely a huge mark against the game. Like, I totally agree with you. Um, that I, I'm surprised that happened to you at the very start. It took maybe two-thirds through the game until that was a problem for me because I didn't actually know that was a thing. It happened about ten times throughout the game. So the, <laughs> the problem is the combat was so boring and so unsatisfying that I skipped the combat. When I was making my way through the game, I was dodging enemies instead of fighting them because I could fight them, but fighting them was boring. So why would I waste time fighting them? And then I get to the boss and realize, oh, I'm not strong enough and I'd have to go back, and I'd have to sit there, and I'd have to kill 75 enemies so I could go to the next area and kill 75 <laughs> enemies so that I could be yeah. strong enough to fight the boss. And it was at that point where I'm like, this game is a garbage fire because any game that deliberately wastes my time in this fashion is not worth my time. I am so frustrated at this game, and I'm so frustrated at the praise this game has has you know has gotten over the years this is one of the worst games i've ever played this is worse than kirby's nightmare in dreamland and it's entirely because of grinding i hate it so much james never ever please never expose me to a game that has grinding again because i would literally do anything else how upset would you be if i told you overall i liked this game i mean it doesn't surprise me you like a lot of terrible games so <laughs> it doesn't make me upset that you enjoyed this game it makes you a little bit upset <laughs> if there's one thing that like that that i loathe about this game it's the grinding and the fact that it has grinding it even if the rest of the game was great which it isn't but even if the rest of the game is great i would give this game a thumbs down because no matter how great it is, it wouldn't be worth sitting through having to kill 50 monsters in the same way over and over again in order to progress the story. So just for me, this is like an enormous issue. And it's did the game fail at this stage? It failed two minutes into the experience. When I started playing, I came into this knowing that this was a like an old RPG. And I kind of had the expectation that I would want to do a bit of grinding to make sure I didn't get stuck in the story. So I didn't run into this issue as hard as you did. One of the things I wanted to get from the first area was enough gold to buy some of the armor that was in the shop. So I did just go around and killed a lot of things for a while. And I was really happy when I leveled up and was killing stuff so much faster after a couple of levels. I think um, this game, more than a lot of other RPGs, gives you really good uh, in-game feedback to getting new items or to leveling up. Like I said, it's really obvious when you level up how much more damage you do to monsters. But not only that, that issue that Patrick had where he couldn't deal damage to boss 
enemies actually can affect regular enemies when they try to hit you too if yep. you've bought enough armor which i found to be immensely satisfying like i loved getting enough money to get the strongest possible armor and then just like running around these fields being this immortal god while the uh the enemies just pinged off me with this really satisfying sound those flying enemies that we were complaining about when you get enough armor so that all their attacks deal zero damage to you are so it feels so good you don't have to deal with their bullshit anymore james i'm i'm convinced that maybe i just hate rpgs like the the more the more games i play the more i'm exposed to rpgs the more i think maybe rpgs just aren't for me because all the things you're talking mm. about do nothing for me what I want from my RPGs is I want Dark Souls. I want to I want to explore the map, fight the boss, and move on. I don't want to be stuck in these artificial arenas, and I don't want my abilities to be determined by the numbers on my screen. And that's what playing Crystalis felt like, and I hated it. So I actually think that, um, just to kind of put my opinion in a little box, that this game does progression better than basically most modern rpgs because of its squished level system so can we jump in on that exactly the the squished level system okay i mean this is a pretty short game right like it's 10 hours long let's say yeah is it is it yeah. really a squished sure. level system or is it the appropriate number of levels for its short length it feels like it's squished and it feels that every level is more significant than levels in other games by like a long shot like every time i leveled up i felt so much stronger than i was before i'd leveled up so perhaps may maybe that's true maybe the game is short and so the number of levels is appropriate for that but at the very least each level is a very sizable upgrade from what you were previously yeah see what i want from games as they progress is not for my character's numbers to go up I want the gameplay to become more complex and engaging. And my argument would be that the gameplay never, ever, ever becomes more complex and engaging, with the exception of perhaps the boss fights. It's just your numbers go up. I mean, I think that's a totally fair criticism, and I basically agree with you. I think that the enemies in this game barely increase in complexity. Like, the, the most that happens is that they have more status effects, so they basically become more annoying. Um, but I generally found hitting stuff with my sword and playing with all the pet magic was to be you know fairly enjoyable and that feedback i was getting from every time i got a new piece of armor every time i got a new sword every time i got a new spell was really good and the game's also constantly handing you new things to play with right like you're constantly getting new items that have little effects on them new pieces of armor shields swords that have different beams to throw out uh magic spells that do both combat things and non-combat things i think the rate of acquiring new tools to interact with the world is good i just think that the variety isn't as high as it would be in a modern title yeah and that would be my thing you it's the variety you get new items true but most of them are passive effects you get new spells but i would say only two of them are usable in combat and only one of them is really effective as a combat tool against the bosses specifically uh hmm. yeah you you do get a decent stream of new stuff i'll give you that but i didn't find a lot of the new stuff you were getting particularly interesting and a lot of the stuff you're getting are just keys they're just they're, they're key they're not called keys but 
they are elaborate they're keys. basically keys yeah. sure well i'm more talking about stuff like the rings and like the necklaces and shit like that that lets you you know choose whether to be a bit stronger in damage or to have more defense that kind of thing which i liked messing around with and kind of figuring out which was my best setup <laughs> on the um on the topic of grinding right Mm-hmm. So I understand that it's not for everybody, and most people honestly probably hate it. Um, and for the most part, I hated when I had to grind in this game, except for a couple of instances. And there was a few points in the game where I found some little spots that were really efficient XP. So near the end of the game, there's this big field filled with soldiers that you encounter shortly after getting an ability that lets you do damage in a big circle around your character. And I found it really good experience to run around gathering maybe like 15 of these little soldiers in a, in a small spot and then unleashing a huge charge up attack on them, basically clearing the entire screen and giving me like a quarter of a level every time. It was uh, really satisfying to feel like I was taking advantage of the game in that way. Wasn't if that wasn't a thing in the game that it doesn't add anything to the experience. Like no, it made me feel like I was making good use of what was in my environment. Like I felt clever for making use of this grinding spot. What I liked about what I like about grinding <sighs> games is when there is a poor way to do it, and then there is a way to do it to with such efficiency that it's basically not wasting your time. But you have to be clever enough to find that way. And I kind of like that, um, which this game does a couple of times, but, you know, when you have to kill basic mooks that give fuck all XP for like half an hour, that's that's not fun. I, I will say it never took me literally half an hour. It was like 10 to 15 minutes at most, yeah, any particular most. session in grinding. But one minute is too fucking long, is, is what I'm trying to get at. <laughs> there is no reason for grinding to ever exist in any video game ever. That It just should not exist. The existence of grinding is a blight on our society, James, and I want to see it eradicated. <laughs> That's a very strong opinion that I think uh, many people would disagree with, um, uh, but I can totally see it. Um, would you like me to be positive for a moment? Yeah, it's I hard. would like you to be positive a moment, you I'll, sad sack of shit. <laughs> I'll, I'll, emerge, I'll emerge from my pit of misery and despair to say that I think the boss fights are okay. I didn't hate they the boss okay. fights. They are okay. Yeah. See, the problem with the boss fights is that any boss that's weak to fire just explodes in one hit from a level 3 fire attack. It's the same with lightning. I think my... Or was it... Yeah, I think my lightning attack one-shot the boss that was weak to lightning. I don't know if there's some weird thing going on with the interpolation where they get hit more by the attack than they should because it exists over several frames, but... There are a couple of bosses that just died instantly for me. It was the uh, early game bosses that I had more problems with than than going into the late game. Yeah, I agree. I think the second boss in the game, the one at the top of that mountain, gave me so mm-hmm. much trouble. I had to fight it a lot of times. But The one that stomps and shoots all the rocks at you, whatever they are. Yeah, that one. Yeah, it mm-hmm. was really hard. Um, and then I think that was probably the hardest point of the game was the second boss. Um yeah. In general, honestly, the bosses in this game reminded me of the bosses in Isaac, if a lot less uh, refined. So, you know, you're in this big arena where they shoot projectiles uh, in a circle and you have to weave through the projectiles while damaging them in return. Basically, the bosses have one attack and then they'll run at you a bit. So, the, the, I guess you could say 
every boss has two attacks except the final the final boss and the second final boss, which have three to four attacks each. So yeah. they're very simple. But uh, yeah, like James said, that, that boss that stomped has almost a bullet hell-like pattern because the projectiles that fly at you are disconnected from the boss himself. So often you're trying to dodge the projectiles and the boss as he's running at you. Uh, and it's before you get the barrier spell, which gives you immunity against projectiles. So, yeah, I certainly died a lot to that boss before I overcame it. Just um, one final note on the grinding. I think that one of the big benefits of having levels is that if you're not a very skilled player, you do have the option of grinding in order to beat a boss faster. The problem with this game is that it doesn't reward skill by allowing you to beat a boss at a much lower level than you should be able to, mm -hmm. um, which I think is a huge problem. Basically, I think the grinding in this game would be a, a non-issue if it wasn't possible for enemies to be completely immune to your damage if you weren't high enough. Um, I really, really do like you being immune to their damage, but the other way around, not so fun. All I'm saying is that we've already perfected the model, and that model is Dark Souls. So you play through a Dark Souls level, uh, you explore the environment. Yeah, you're right, Patrick. Crystalis should have taken its cues from Dark Souls. It should have. It definitely <laughs> should have. So here's what happens in Dark Souls. You explore the environment, you kill the enemies once, you pick up all the items off the ground that you see in your natural exploration, you level up with the levels you've gotten from exploring once and upgrade your weapons based on what you've ex from exploring once, and then you progress through the entire game with no grinding whatsoever. However, no. if you really, what? really want to, you can grind, even though it doesn't do much. But no grinding is required at all. All you need to do is naturally explore every area and you can get through everything just fine. Yeah, I think that's a better approach. The perfect RPG and everyone should copy it and remove grinding from their game. Basically, Patrick wants his RPGs to have the RPG pits be optional. Correct. Um, and <laughs> and that just doesn't make much sense. <laughs> I mean, there's still character choices you can make. You can choose which weapon to level up. You can choose whether you want to wield, you know, build your character to be strong and wield a two-handed weapon or cast spells. But at no point in that game do you ever have to sit down and kill 50 monsters. If there's a particular weapon you like that has a 5% drop rate, you can do that. But there's nothing forcing you to. And you can get through the game just fine with a longsword. Dark Souls is sure. the perfect game, is all I'm saying. Chrysalis is an example of what and... not to do. Every RPG should be like Dark so... Souls. The end. Did you at least like uh, getting the new swords? I thought getting the new attacks was pretty fun. I did, yes. Uh, every time you got a new upgrade for your sword, it was satisfying, particularly the level 3 version. Getting the level 3 thunder sword was was very sick. It was very sick, yeah, because it just does a huge lightning storm across the entire screen. And I liked the way they balanced it, whereas the, where the, um, the level 3 charge-ups cost mana, where the other ones were free, yes, I thought it made well them... Yeah, I thought it gave you like an interesting because, you know, the difference between one and two is the time, basically. And then you kind of have to, you know, weigh up whether you want to use your mana because mana is a good resource in this. You want because you um, you have a healing spell that uses quite a lot of mana, but it's quite useful at allowing you to stay out in the field longer. So you kind of want to 
conserve your mana as much as you want in order to not have to go back to town. So I thought it was a good trade-off. Um, I should mention that one of the reasons I think the boss fights actually do work well is a very simple mechanic in this game. You can only charge your sword for a ranged attack while you're standing still. Standing still? still? Yeah, ac- so, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It creates this interesting dynamic where you want to dodge the projectiles, but you also want to charge your sword up so you can attack the enemy. Yeah, so you kind of have to find, you pick your spot, right? You've got to find a place where you can dodge a bullet and then charge up for a couple of seconds. Because notably, when you move, it doesn't drop your charge. Mm. Even if you have only like half a charge, it'll keep that half a bar. So you can theoretically just move a little bit, charge a little bit, move a little bit, charge a little bit, um, and fill up your charge that way in a lot of games um the way bosses work is they attack and then you use the opening at the end to get a little hit in in this you have to find both openings to charge and openings to get the hit in as well and i thought this kind of created a a fun one-two punch in the bosses that you know honestly uh, a lot of games don't really do yeah the bosses were simple but it had a nice action-y feel to it. You know, the process of weaving in and out of the bullets and, fought, like James said, finding those openings because your weapon charges very quickly, but the openings to attack are very narrow. So it's all... It's all, it's, ra- it's very fast-paced. Uh, I, I, think, I think the boss fights are the most enjoyable part of this game by far, and they show what could have been done with the fairly simplistic combat system. The problem is as soon as you're out of the boss fight, it's back to the enemies slowly walking towards you. And then there's no tension with the charging up your weapon. Yeah, basically, if the enemy variety in this game was higher, I would be a lot higher on it than I currently am. I think that is the number one flaw of this game. The enemy variety for the normal dudes being just boring as hell. They're just walking damage boxes with maybe a ranged attack um they don't do anything interesting the only other thing i wanted to bring up in relation to the gameplay is the um you you touched on it earlier with how you switch the swords for the right enemy type but just a general discussion on the menu in general a ness controller has basically no buttons on it it's like yeah. E-pad and then A and B and start and select. It doesn't even have shoulder pads, shoulder buttons, yeah. as far as I know. And so one of the problems with this game is you can only have either a spell or an item mapped to a key yes. at a time. Um, yeah. And the process of swapping your swords requires you to go into your inventory and equip the right sword, then equip the corresponding bracelet that matches it. Whereas if it were a modern rpg a, mo- a modern a modern game you'd have things on your shoulder buttons and on the d-pad and everything and mm. you could you could play this entire game almost without going into the menu but as it is you do dive into the menus far more than you'd think you'd have to to the game's credit i do think that when they made this menu they did a good job of minimizing the amount of button presses that you need to actually change your weapon when you press the inventory button your cursor is on the sword row which is the one you'll be changing the most Mm -hmm. and you'll just need to press right and then press ok and then the menu button so basically changing your sword will only take like less than a second once you get used to it 
which you know it's still not ideal in term like compared to a lot of modern titles with the you know just having a dedicated d-pad selection or something like that but it's nowhere near as painful as something like vagrant story when we did that game yeah and it's even better than something like castlevania symphony of the night which has menus nestled inside other menus it's all basically i agree with you this is about the best they could possibly do with the control scheme and it's bearable like it's not great but it's definitely bearable it just makes you wonder how much better it could have been if uh if it was on a modern controller yeah that's true i guess one final thing i want to ask you about um, as a kind of gameplay thing is that did you notice that every time you go to an inn like and you go to a new town in this game all the prices at the new town are super inflated so what you kind of end up doing is once you get teleport is teleporting back to the very first town every single time to rest for like a much cheaper price yeah, it's, it's really bizarre you get teleport really really early in this game like yeah. i'd say 10 percent of the way through this game you gain the ability to teleport to any time anytime you choose with you know it only costs 20 mana which is which is quite cheap and it's 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 weird because there's an item you get that can give you a teleport but you can also just teleport to any town whenever Anyways, you choose yeah. it's the same thing with like you get antidotes and things that cure paralysis but you have a spell that just lets you cure any ailment for 15 mana or whatever the, the spells make a lot of the items and exploration redundant in that regard. Yeah, I mean, I think it means you feel a bit more powerful and like self-empowered once you get them. I just, I just want to bring up the fact that I felt like such a fucking penny pincher yep. every time I teleported to the first town to, you know, heal for 16 gold instead of 300. Yeah, but 300 so much when you hit up for 16. It's so much. It takes 30 seconds. Like the, I'm going to... It's like the game experience you to do this yeah and the other weird thing is like i said the game isn't like you're in a central place and then you're spiraling out in every direction and you know the center of the town's more expensive or anything it just so happens that the random way that you've stumbled your way through the game sees a gradual increase in prices i um i i liked saving money because uh once you got money you got the armor and once you got the good armor you took a lot less damage and uh, you felt like a big boy running around in your big boy shoes so uh that was fun for me i like it when game armor actually uh feels like it's protecting you like it should rather than uh, you know giving you that shitty two percent increase in defense well when i grinded and killed a hundred monsters i had enough money to buy the armor i needed anyway um i guess uh we'll go to a final music break and then talk about the soundtrack as a whole and the aesthetics i was nowhere near as high on the soundtrack as you seem to be i actually found most of it to be incredibly annoying and we'll get to that later but uh thankfully the main track that you hear when wandering around around the game world is actually pretty decent and I did like it which caused my experience to be uh, much less ear bleeding than uh, it might have otherwise been so here's the main uh, field soundtrack that plays during the exploration of the overworld <laughs> Thank you. 
That was Fields, and I actually quite like Fields. It's got a very upbeat tone to it, like much of the uh, better tracks on the soundtrack, which honestly there's only maybe two or three of. I liked the Fields, I liked Inner Mountain and the one you played for us earlier, but overall I found a lot of the soundtracks to be really repetitive, and I'm not a huge fan of that tone that these 8-bit games have. Uh, I find it very, very ear-piercing and the opposite of relaxing, especially when soundtracks like Leaf Village are trying to go for that relaxed tone and it's just so high-pitched and the least relaxing thing I can imagine. As always, I want to preface this by saying that I'm a music pleb, but there's something about these 8-bit and, you know, later on 16-bit soundtracks that are appealing to me. It's like creating creating something like beautiful out of something incredibly simple. And I think I prefer it to something like Armored Core's soundtrack, which we did earlier, which is like a thicker, sort of like uglier noise. There's something to be said for the cleanliness of of this soundtrack. And while I didn't love every track to pieces, it's by no means a perfect soundtrack. Uh, Ocean Waves and Inner Mountains, I think, are, are very good tracks, and I enjoy them a lot. So I'd say I think about half half of the music on this um, on this album is worth listening to, and then there are some mediocre ones sprinkled throughout. Especially uh, the one that plays when you just go into a random cave. I found that one to be unbearable near the end of the game because you hear it a lot there are a lot of caves in this game and they're all quite similar so i ended up turning the sound off a couple of times which i don't usually do but other than that i liked some of them but for the most part i probably won't go back to this soundtrack it's not something that i think has held up as an all-time great i think the fields track that we just heard is quite nice but other than that not a big fan i should mention that i also turned the music off sporadically uh whenever i had to grind i put on a podcast in the background because you know, the game is so unengaging that you don't want to concentrate on it. So you have to <laughs> occupy yourself with a completely different form of media to actually get any enjoyment out of the process. If I didn't have the option to do that, I probably, you know, would have been stuck on level two for this game at all eternity. And then James would have got very mad at me for not finishing this game. The end of the podcast. <laughs> it can't continue until Patrick finishes Crystalis, which he never will. No, well... Uh, well, luckily you managed to overcome your frustrations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, other than that, I don't have too much to say about the rest of the soundtrack. Um, I thought some of the sound effects in this game were fine. I particularly liked the sound when you level up and the sound that, um, you know, the sound that gets made when something does zero damage to another thing was actually... <laughs> I hate that sound. That sound is everything I hate about this game, that bloody pinging noise. And like I said, that first vampire... Because when I first went through the cave, the enemies weren't taking damage either. Yeah. And I'm like, huh, it must be some kind of curse. You have to kill the boss and then you can kill the other enemies. No. Uh, that pinging noise is my nightmare. No. I hate it so much. Well, I mostly heard it when enemies were failing to do damage <laughs> on my jacked body of legends that I had grinded up myself through my own uh, masochistic enjoyment of the grind. But I guess I can see how you hate it so much. But I found it very satisfying, very satisfying when those shitty flying enemies were pinging off me constantly. It's like, yeah. I think that the, um, the damage effects when you successfully damage an enemy does lack a bit of oomph. Uh, the main... T- 
helpful when an attack has done damage to an enemy is that it doesn't make the ping noise. That's what I found. Because it does make a noise, but it's kind of like, a, I don't know, it, it barely sounds different from the attack going off. So I think that could have been a little clearer. Yeah, I definitely think that could have been done better too. Uh, some of the uh, the charged up attacks, I think, have a better sound effect. Like level three f fire explosions, pretty mm -hmm. good, but it just like melts whatever it hits, which I loved. Um, oh, we should we should mention uh, the amount of slowdown that happens on the screen when you launch these powerful attacks. Yes, actually. So I guess that kind of is leading us into mm -hmm. graphics as well. But generally. With the bosses, when there's a lot of projectiles on screen and you're trying to charge up your sword, the game slows down quite considerably, which honestly I didn't actually hate because it made it easier for me to dodge projectiles. It was like, thanks game, you're looking the, um, out for The second me. last boss you fight in the game, in the pyramid, it, it has some serious slowdown. Most of the time Slow it's bearable, down. but yeah, there are phases where it feels like it's moving at five frames per second. Like it, you're waiting for your sword to charge up and you can <laughs> see it tick up each each time. Um, that's when it, that's when it was the worst yeah. for me when I was charging up that thunder sword and uh, I let the attack go and the screen is just <laughs> it's like a, it's like a frame by frame shot. Well, at least at least for the majority, this slowdown actually benefits the player because it lets you dodge attacks easier more mm -hmm. than anything. Um, I never found it that it negatively impacted my gameplay. Like it's not one of these super fluid action games that every frame hitch sends you into just pain and agony. You know, every time you have to play at thirty FPS in an action game, you just kind of want to cry inside. Here, it was actually a more of a benefit sometimes. And by the time your swords get to the stage where they can create graphical slowdowns, you'll have the barrier uh, spell, which makes you invulnerable to projectiles. Quite, it's quite overpowered, but uh, yeah. as long as you've got that turned on in boss fights, you're probably going to be fine. I, I, didn't, I didn't actually use barrier as much as you probably did. I just dodged things and healed when I got hit. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you don't... There, there are some boss fights where it's very useful. The aforementioned one, because he's shooting ricocheting fireballs. Yeah. And there's a mage boss that shoots a lot of projectiles as well. But apart from that final boss, the bosses died so quickly it wasn't too much of a problem. Oh, how, so quickly. How did, you, uh, how did you feel about the aesthetics in a general sense, James? Do you have any big picture comments to make? So... As a whole, I don't think it looks fantastic. However, there are a few sections throughout the game that I think rise above this game's, you know, dated aesthetic to actually swamp. look quite swamp. nice. Swamp. The swamp. swamp. Yeah, the swamp looks pretty cool. Um, my favorite screen in the entire game is the room that you wake up in, because I think that the use of color there and the detail on everything is mm -hmm. much higher than everything else in the game. Like, it looks really cool. And there's technology. Yeah, I would say that that first screen looks, you know, if that game came out as an indie game today, I'd believe it. Um, and it would look quite nice. A lot of the fields look really bland, but then there's this thing that the game does that I think some other older Nintendo Entertainment System games do, which is there are a lot of areas that have a very, very simple block color floor with these really detailed uh, environmental walls around it that give this really cool 
negative space look. I don't know if you noticed that. It's most apparent in the first castle area you go to where the floor is this solid shade of green but there are all these black shadows on the walls around you as you're walking around and I think that looked quite cool. I think that there is a degree of artistry to this game which which is a lot to say because in one sense it is rather bland. In another, a lot of the illustration and art that makes up a lot of these textures is actually extremely well done. Done, And I really think the swamp, for me at least, is the standout area because it somehow manages to be immersive and atmospheric and gloomy. And when you actually study any particular part of your screen, you're like, oh, it's just you know more boring textures but the zoomed out view as you're heading through that area it feels very unique and well done yeah i think my main criticism of the graphics comes in the hundreds of identical caves and corridors you end up going yes yeah absolutely the visual design of a lot of the dungeons doesn't do a lot to distinguish itself in some cases the caves in particular all look the same however i think all the castles and the the water environments and the pyramids at the end all do look quite visually interesting one of my favorite things that this game does visually is that in the like the biggest boss fights the game kind of changes the color of the environment around you to you know like uh, in the swamp level that you said you like you fight this big spider monster thing and when you encounter it the entire floor disappears and you get sucked into this black void and the same is kind of true with the second to last box the environment disappears leaving you in this big orange void of nothing and I think it does a really good job of highlighting like the sense of scale and threat level that's coming from the enemy you're fighting i think it does that quite well even the very final boss uh takes place on a weird sort of graphical background it kind of reminds me of the flowery fight from undertale yeah where it just completely changes your perspective i think i don't think this game is like brilliantly beautiful or anything but there are a lot of subtle touches that elevated above what your initial experiences and expectations might be i think that the graphics are quite good i i liked them and i was surprised how solid they were i like i said the the real problem is when you're in these cave systems it's just an endless labyrinth of identical caves and it's like it's just visually dull but to be fair if you go back and you compare what this game looks like to something like super mario brothers or the original legend of zelda or other nes titles i think in general this game blows the uh, its competition out of the water for its time right i believe that would be relevant if we weren't reviewing it from (laughs) a modern day perspective what i I was kind of getting at (laughs) is that it has held up better than i was like better than its brethren uh in this aspect Um, yeah i don't know man like I think I prefer the look of Zelda. I think I prefer the look of Mario Brothers. Really? Really? I think Mario Brothers looks awful compared to this game. I've watched a lot of Mario Brothers uh, being played, like, competitive, not competitively, but, you know, like a lot of Kaizo Mario. And stuff like that. Speedrunning and Do also a lot of specifically Mario 3? Because uh, Mario... Uh, all, all Mario. Okay. All Mario. So I, I kind of have a fondness for that specific style. I... 
I think I think it looks all right. It's just dungeon design is just pretty bland. Yeah, I think that um, one of the things that modern day dungeons do well is that they have identifying landmarks to help orientate yourself. Yeah, like the levels in Banjo Kazooie. <laughs> no, uh, not like that at all. But it's a lot easier to remember a big labyrinth if there's eight different geographical features that you can use yes. to identify each. Yeah, yeah. Like, a lot of the dungeons are just mazes, right? <laughs> yeah, they're just mazes. It reminds me of the um, of the online portions of Mega Man Battle Network 3 because they're just these terrible, endless mazes. And then you go to the overworld and it's like this beautiful, distinguishable art. It, make, it was always weird <laughs> for me because I'd go to the overworld and know exactly where to go. And then the instant I was in the internet, the dungeons of the game. Yeah, but the um, the Mega Man online portions, sorry to sidetrack from Crystalis, but they're just supposed to remind you of those shitty like 80s, 90s web pages with the awful scrolling backgrounds. And yeah, that's I think, what it uh, reminded me of. Yeah, it, it was pretty funny for me but um back to crystalis um mm. yeah i agree the the dungeon layouts really don't do much to make individual parts stand out from one another and i think that that is something developers have gotten a lot better at over the years yeah and you know 3d spaces by their nature i think are just easier for us to navigate and identify different bits because you can see so much more of the level in one go. So, you know, navigating those complex labyrinths in Thief, for example, is so much easier to eventually construct uh, a mental map than the ones maybe. in Crystalis. I largely disagree, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I can see you not wanting to go on that tangent. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I guess we've pretty much summed up our feelings about each part of the game, so uh, do you kind of want to let us know how much you hate this game? I loathe this game, James. This is the worst game I've played in quite some time. The, the last time I can remember having this bad an experience playing a video game is probably like Bioshock Infinite, where I actively hated every moment, but I still finished it. There have been some games I've hated doing this podcast, like Vagrant Story in particular. The gameplay of that game was an absolute slog, but I still felt that game was mentally engaging me on some level. This game has a story that's incoherent, poorly written. Its gameplay requires grinding, fighting the monsters is mind-numbingly dull. I hate nearly every single aspect of this game with all my might. There are one or two aspects which I think are all right. The boss fights, the music, I think some aspects of the graphics are nice. But if you want a case study of a video game that has failed to stand the test of time, that you should avoid on your weekend, that you should spend your weekend doing anything else, then this is that game. Do not play Chrysalis. Do not waste your life. Do not waste a single minute even installing the cartridge. It's a waste of time. Avoid it at all. Yeah, I'm nowhere near as low on this game as Patrick is. In fact, I found a lot of the game to be quite fun even. I think... Uh... Better than a lot of games that are coming out nowadays, Crystalis has a good sense of progression where every little gain that you get out of it really rewards you. You know, every time you level up, every bit of armor you get, every new spell, it feels like the game is constantly throwing new things at you in order to help you progress. And that feeling of progression really carried my enjoyment, um, even though, you know, the combat is not super engaging and the story is very vague 
vegan poorly told. Um, I didn't particularly like the music and the graphics were okay, but just that single sensor progression made me enjoy this game to a level that I was even very surprised about myself. Uh, I think that Crystalis does that one aspect so well that if you really value that sense of progression in your RPGs, that feeling of getting stronger and overcoming your enemies uh, very quickly even, then I think that Crystalis is worth playing. It is not worth playing if you've heard online that it has an excellent story, because <laughs> it probably did for its time, but it has not held up well. Um, I can definitely see that if you're the kind of person that loves their old NES games, that you could come and really enjoy the story story but you know if, you, if you're not that kind of person if you're just interested in it from what other people have had to say I can't recommend it but the RPG elements do help it to be overall an enjoyable experience so yeah if you like that definitely play it if you don't don't touch it with a 10 foot pole absolutely uh so that about wraps up uh the episode uh thank you so much for listening to us thank you in particular for listening to me continue to ramble on about dark souls i managed to uh talk about it in a far more blatant method than i normally oh do my God. i'm normally more subtle <laughs> are you though <laughs> um we are the retrospectors podcast my name is patrick arthur and i was joined by my co-host james turlings you can find all of our content on our website, which is www.rspodcast.net. We have all of our podcasts there, 30 now as of this episode. And we've also got heaps and heaps of articles, mostly relating to the games we played for the podcast, with a few others that I've written on uh, various modern games that I've been playing. I particularly look forward to your Crystalis article. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I think in the interests of, uh, of peace it would be wise if I didn't write anything more about Crystalis. I'm already worried about <laughs> posting this to the subreddit because they're not going to be very happy with it. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I, I'm currently working on an article for Heroes of Might and Magic 3, so hopefully that's up by the time you're listening to this episode. So, uh, James, we are, we are coming to the end of this episode, so we must announce what we are doing for next well, I mean, it is your choice, so you're going to have to tell oh. me what we're playing, not the other way around, Patrick. I am so happy because it means that at least for a fortnight, I'm free of having to do an RPG well, I for mean, one fortnight. Next time it comes back around, I'm choosing Crystalis again, so... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> we're now the Crystalis show. <laughs> <laughs> to play it every every well, I mean, until the you need you need a large we need a larger sample size so i think once we've played Ugh. it maybe you know a couple hundred times we'll have a solid grasp of the mechanics and be able to review it fairly at least so uh next month is a mystery but next fortnight i do know what we're doing i'm choosing a game that i have never played before but one that i've always been interested but i've never actually sat down and play it played it and that is Sonic the Hedgehog. We're doing the very first original Sonic the Hedgehog. Ooh. I've played Mario, I've played Celeste, I've played Super Meat Boy, I've played lots of platformers, but this one, which used to be a king of the console industry, uh, it basically held the Sega, the Sega console on its shoulders. I've never touched in my entire life. I'm fascinated, particularly since Sonic 1 in particular, I know it doesn't have the stellar reputation of the next couple of sequels. So it'll be interesting to see how 
it, you know, eventually developed into the masterpiece that a lot of people think Sonic 2 and 3 are. And I wonder if Sonic 1 will uh, will quite have mastered the formula if, if it hasn't, if it's not as highly regarded. It might be a Thief 1 situation where it's got lots of good ideas, but it just hasn't perfectly formulated it. But either way, uh, we'll find that out in a fortnight, and so hopefully will you. Thank you once again for listening, and have a good one. See ya. See ya.